This is Carte Blanche, the podcast. One story every day that matters. Delve into the issues that impact you. Whether you're in need of a better understanding of the world around you or simply seeking inspiration or unique perspectives, you'll find it all here. On 18 October 2022, South Africans woke up to a headline many thought they'd never see. Ex-Steinhoff CEO Marcus Eustace's assets had been seized by the SA Reserve Bank. Among the assets attached were his prized wine farm in Stellenbosch, artwork, jewelry, several cars, and a massive property in Hermanus. Could this be the beginning of the end for Eustace? Producer Sasha Schweindenwein speaks to Rob Rose, author of the book Steinheist, which was recently adapted into a limited series on Showmax. Steinhoff was once labeled the IKEA of Africa, employing over 100,000 employees and selling over 40 brands across several continents, well-known brands. It's been almost five years since its CEO, Marcus Euster, resigned in 2017 amid an investigation into account irregularities which sent Steinhoff's share price off a cliff, plunging 90% in one week and wiping off an unbelievable 200 billion of the JSE. This led to South Africa losing their pensions and investments. Welcome, Rob Rose. So, one of the questions up front, what was the response or what has the response been like to Steinheist, the book, and the Showmax TV series? Yeah, it's been pretty good. I mean, I think the issue is that a lot of people didn't understand how how these things work and how people get ripped off. So I think that that's, I think in terms of explaining that and how these things happen um, and how finance works is very useful. I also think that it helps demystify the world of finance and makes people realize that, you know, there's some very supposedly very smart people who are completely blindsided too, who are ripped off. And I think it'll, you know, make people realize that just common sense is a, is a useful commodity in any sector. And, these guys who are employed to run companies are supposedly um, great directors with world-class insights often have no more insight than you or me. And I think that that's one of the useful insights that comes from this. And I think that a lot of people can get that from, from a series like this. Do you think the average person understands when they are investing what that means? I mean, I do think a lot of people understand what they're investing. And I think that's one of the points that anyone tells you quite a lot before you put money in anywhere is understand what you're putting money in. In the case of Steinhoff, that didn't happen. A lot of people just put money in because everyone else was. And I think that, that that's one of the lessons is that, you know, understand exactly what you're putting money into. But having said that, um, you know, Steinhoff was a company that where nobody saw the full picture of the fraud until later, until it was reconstructed later. So you saw a few obvious red flags, but nobody had the full picture of the con that it ultimately was. And I think it took a team of forensic accountants more than a year to put that picture together. There were obviously red flags that a lot of people ignored because the share, the stock was going up. And the point is that, you know, it tells you that you shouldn't really ignore these red flags the whole time. Yeah, those red flags, you know, have shown us that it's likely the biggest corporate scam in South Africa. Um, But for those of our listeners who don't know, could you give them a quick summary of the Steinhoff saga? Sure. What happened is this company started off as this furniture retailer, and it grew and grew and grew and bought more and more assets, and it bought more and more brands that you and I know, things like Incredible Connection, like Joshua Daw in South Africa, as well as overseas, assets like Conferama in France, bought Poundland in England, bought Mattress Firm in the UK. So it grew to be this massive global conglomerate. 
Um, and then in 2014, it took a step forward when it bought Pepco. Um, and I think most people know Pep. Pep is a fantastic brand. It's like it, it's making massive profits selling clothes um, at, at very low prices. And I think it's done fantastically well, you know, over many decades. And I think that was a big moment for it. Essentially, what happened then in 2017 is that after various warning signs, after a criminal investigation in Germany, Steinhoff admitted that there were accounting irregularities that had found. Marcus Euster resigned. And the full picture of just how much of a scam it was began to come together to the extent that I think when PwC, who were the forensic auditors, released their forensic report, the, the summary of it, it revealed that there was 106 billion rand in fictitious transactions over the course of a decade, pretty much. Um, and I think that that's, that's part of the picture is that there was immense fraud in many ways. There were fictitious accounts, there were fictitious invoices, there was shady overseas companies that weren't really independent doing deals. And so it was things like that. So ultimately, the evidence from that investigation suggests that Steinhoff's profits have been fraudulently inflated through the use of many secret companies in Europe. Well, we know Houston admitted to making mistakes in his resignation email at the time, has he ever elaborated on what those were? No. In fact, when he went to Parliament, um, I think this was in 2018 or so, he was summoned to Parliament and eventually he arrived there and he gave his version of events, which is pretty much that the only mistake he made was to get involved with an Austrian businessman called Andreas Seyfert, who he says constructed this whole story of Steinhoff being con and Steinhoff not being a um, legitimate company. So that's his answer, is that his mistake, his only mistake was to really get involved with somebody he shouldn't have. And this person created the perception that Steinhoff had accounting problems when it didn't really. So I think that that's the story he's going to stick to. I mean, I imagine that he probably would. The problem with that, obviously, is that, you know, the PwC accountants discovered these 106 billion rand of fictitious transactions. So to claim that there are no accounting problems in Steinhoff when the forensic auditors have found more than 100 billion rands worth of problems, it's a very dubious strategy to stick to. And it probably, it looks like it may unravel at some stage. Yeah, it looks like he's got 106 billion reasons to evade arrest. And I think that's part of the problem with, you know, our audience and South Africans asking the big question. I think everyone's singing in chorus, why hasn't Marcus Euster been arrested? Yeah, I mean, that's the big issue is that why hasn't he? And I think that that is a question that is better posed to the National Prosecuting Authority, to the Hawks. Um, certainly the evidence, at least when it came to insider trading, for which he has fined $162 million by the by the regulator, uh, seemed pretty convincing. So, you know, I don't know why he hasn't been arrested. It's five years after the fact, and that's, I think, in many jurisdictions, for the country's largest ever financial crime, you would have to say that's too long. So the action this week by the Reserve Bank in terms of freezing assets, 1.4 billion rands worth of assets, was welcome, uh, but it was a bit of a surprise that it was a Reserve Bank doing this as opposed to the Hawks, as opposed to the NPA. You say it's a bit of a surprise. Maybe can you explain the significance of this attachment? Well, essentially, the Reserve Bank in their court applications said that there had been numerous problems with Steinhoff's accounts, which we know to be true, and that as a result certain amounts were paid to Marcus Eusta as bonuses and salaries based upon fictitious accounts and paid overseas. And there was movements of money cross borders based upon illegitimate and incorrect statements made to the Reserve Bank. 
Reserve Bank has a duty to control financial flows across borders. So what he's essentially accused of in this application is of contravening these exchange control rules. So it was not the most obvious strategy to freeze his assets. You would think that that would have to do with the main fraud, but that would be a hawks matter or a police matter, but that didn't happen. Instead, you had the Reserve Bank coming in and freezing assets based upon exchange control contraventions. And I suppose it's surprising because you would expect it to be the police who've done that rather than exchange controls. That is not the most obvious problem with Steinoff that most people come to. But I suppose in a way, you know, if, if as somebody said to me today, if you remember that Al Capone was finally nabbed on, on tax violations, and I suppose you can approach a problem like Steinoff and a problem like Marcus Yost's culpability for it in, in many different ways. And this is from left field, but it doesn't mean that it's itself won't work. Yeah, talking about Capone, he's been living the high life in Hermanus which, you know, I think is why many people want to see him in orange overalls. So let's actually unpack what you were just saying now. What was revealed following the raid on Eustace's various properties and assets? Have we learned anything? I think it gives some more insight into the cross-border money flows. I think the court application talked a bit about um, the amounts paid to him, about the money paid across borders. And I think that was in the application. And clearly some of that comes from that PwC forensic report. So I think that's important. We also learned a bit about Marcus Eustace's lifestyle we didn't know before. Um, the five cars, for example, that were seized as part of it. The fact that there is this 1.2 billion rands worth of financial assets in his trust, essentially, Silberg's trust, is interesting, I think. Um, so I think that we've learned a bit more about how much money there actually might still be in the Marcus Eustace proximity, in the proximity to Marcus Eustace that's that is still up for grabs, I suppose, by the authorities, should there be any asset forfeiture orders later. So I think we got some more insight into his life. I think we got some more insight into what's actually happening in this case and in terms of the cross-border money flows. Other than that, I think the full details of the fraud will probably have to come out in the Hawks or police case when they finally get that going. Yes. So do you think the attachment perhaps preludes the police or the hawks knocking on Eustace's door? Do we foresee criminal proceedings in his future? Given all that's come out, given the fact that PwC put this number on it and the massive inflation of assets that numerous people were duped into putting money into it, and that given that pension funds put billions into sign-off and, and lost large parts of it, and the PwC then isolated the people who they believe are the ringleaders of this particular gambit, including Marcus Huster, you'd have to say that there should be prosecution. When that'll take place, who's to say? I think it's already taken too long to get to this point. It's going to have to happen, and I think it definitely will happen. Some people are quite skeptical and don't believe that there will be an arrest and a prosecution, but I'm pretty confident there will be. Well, I mean, it's obviously up to our national prosecuting authority. Have they said anything about this? I mean, some are saying they're essentially asleep on the job. Where are they in all mm. of this? They say that they're busy working on the case. You have had nothing useful from the Hawks. It's essentially the Hawks who are investigating this. You've had nothing useful from them, which, you know, perhaps you can understand that. Perhaps they don't want to reveal their hand at this stage. But I think it also goes to their prosecution strategy. I think that rather than bringing piecemeal charges against Marcus Eustace, for example, one charge on the insider trading and then one on the accounting fraud, they've decided to wait and bring them all together. So rather than arresting him and charging him for individual parts of the mess, they're going to wait and do it as one. And I think that's probably delayed things because it is, you know, it is a very complicated, it is a very complicated fraud. I mean, you can imagine that it takes more than 100 forensic auditors a year to stitch this together. You can imagine how the Hawks must be dealing with this. Do you feel the SA Reserve Bank raid was perhaps inspired by renewed interest in the case following the Stein heist 
series on Showmax? Um, I, I mean, I don't really think so. I think that they were probably working on it the whole time. But I think that pressure is building every day when something doesn't happen. The fact that we're approaching five years after this and nothing has happened means that there has been, you know, mounting pressure every day. Questions are being asked. And I think that, you know, we have a situation where accountability is being asked of people in the public sector and governments and that sort of thing. But people want to see there being accountability in, in the corporate sector and the business sector, too. So I think a clamor for accountability there has put pressure on the on the police and the prosecutors to to act faster than they have. And I think that ultimately has been something that has been building for for a while. I mean, you've stated before that there's enough evidence to charge you, Steph. Could you maybe take us through some of that main points and that evidence? Well, like I said, um, the forensic auditors put the value of fictitious transactions at 106 billion rand and they named USTA as one of the ringleaders. So I think that that right there is one of the main elements of it. There were many things done. For example, you had foreign companies that were doing business with Steinoff that held themselves out to be independent entities like Campion in, in Switzerland, but weren't really. And were essentially helping Steinhoff pad its books by reporting deals, reporting revenues and amounts paid to Steinhoff wasn't really true. You had situations where fictitious invoices were put into Steinhoff. The CFO, Ben Lhranji, signed an invoice we were told he was given it by Marcus Yuster and try, told to essentially put this through the books. And according to Ben Lhranji, this, this just didn't exist. The money was never due and payable, and it's essentially just a fraud. And then you had the insider trading issues where a week before Steinoff collapsed, Marcus Yuster sent a message to, I think it was three or four people, including a former rugby player and his former driver, telling them that they might want to look at selling the shares they had in Steinoff because there might be trouble coming down the line in America. And... A week later, the share price collapsed. So if they'd acted on that and saved themselves losses, you would think that that would fall within the definition of um, the Insider Trading Act and, in, you know, the Financial Markets Act and would make him certainly susceptible to claims of insider trading. So I think that there, are, there were numerous grounds upon which to charge him. And I think that those many of those discussions have been had for many years already. I think few people know the Steinhoff, Steinheist saga better than you. What has been the most profound, surprising element throughout the entire story that you feel has been overlooked? Well, I mean, there are many elements that I think are quite surprising. I think that the, it helped strip away the veneer of boards of directors and many supposedly smart financial people. And the board of directors was incredibly smart, but yet they didn't see this coming. Um, I think the extent to which, no matter the fact that we have all these governance rules in place, we have all these laws and acts and codes that are meant to stop this kind of thing happening, that this still happened. And if you look at the smart people on the board, you had three accounting PhDs on Steinoff's board and it had an accounting scandal. So I think it does raise questions around the value of, of boards um, and how this kind of thing can get past someone. And I think it goes to a deeper problem, which is that, you know, you can have all these rules in place, but if your executives or your CEO is going to lie to you, I don't know if there are many times when you can see that. It's raised questions about auditors and just how good they are. If an auditor can sign off financial statements, yet they are wrong to the tune of more than $100 billion, what is the point of having auditors a lot of the time? So there, there are many elements to this kind of thing um, that I think are fascinating. Those are just two of them. I mean, those are eyebrow-raising statements. Um, what do you think we could expect to see in the coming weeks or months? I imagine that what Marcus Euster will do in this case is he will go to court and he will argue that the freezing order, the attachment order by the Reserve Bank should be essentially dismissed, that there was no reason for them to do it. You know, it seems most likely he will do that given his statements in Parliament that there was no real 
accounting issues or problems with Steinoff. So he will probably go and argue that those should be discharged. And I think that'll be probably the first time that we'll see Marcus Yuster really disclose his hand in court papers in terms of answering to certainly parts of these charges. And I think that'll be really interesting to watch. As it is when it comes to the criminal prosecution and potential arrests, it really is impossible to predict when that might happen. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I enjoyed chatting to you. Cool. Thank you for listening. For more episodes, be sure to subscribe to Carte Blanche, the podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. While you're at it, why not rate and review us? We love hearing from our listeners.